Jesse, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself, Danny? No, not too bad. Good to see you as always. Yeah. Um, so we've spent hours and hours in gyms and we've spoke about everything from the most sublime to the ridiculous during yes. that time. So when I was thinking about podcast guests, um, your name is pretty top to the list. So uh, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Um, one thing I, I like to try and do is quickly explain to anyone who might be watching or listening what you do. So I'm going to take a stab at that for you. So bear with right. me. Um, so we always get the most important one out of the way first. So husband and father. Um, get that, top of the list. Yeah, yeah, top of the list. Get that out of the way. Um, one that I'm sure we'll speak about. So, profession, retired professional MMA fighter. Yeah. You're now PT, sports coach, self defence instructor, and all around fitness guru and proud South African. Does that sum you up? Exactly. Nice Correct. one. Yeah. Aha, uh-huh, excellent. So, before we get into it, how did you on with your High Rocks fitness? So it was my first solo event. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I did. And maybe the, what, just explain what. Hyrox is first actually. So Hyrox is a endurance sports competition. Sounds it, like hell on earth. It is definitely. Ah, so yeah. what it does, it tries to incorporate some strength and obviously the the cardiovascular side of mm-hmm. things. So it's eight kilometers of running, and then in between each one kilometer of run, there's an exercise that you have to do, and it's either heavyweight power strength exercise or again it's cardiovascular, which then doesn't let your heart rate come down mm-hmm. so for example the first one is one kilometer run thousand meter skier back into one kilometer run so your heart rate is just sticking up there the whole the whole time so it definitely does test everything and i think for an athlete it is probably one of the best competitions out there now to test yourself in in, in all departments yeah there's no place to hide with that as a exactly so and it was a massive field wasn't it? i was surprised i was having a quick look the other yeah, night so about how you done yeah um and it was about a thousand people taking 1, part 1157 in the men's singles alone in birmingham yeah right, okay so i came i came top 10 percent not happy but again i think through our conversations yeah. you, you understand the my personality traits mm-hmm. and I do know I, I know I need to be kind with myself sometimes because uh-huh. the top ten percent relatively for my first singles events to anyone's standard would be maybe decent enough. But I also knew how much work and effort that I put in leading up to that mm-hmm. event. So a lot of pressure I got that I put on myself didn't uh, didn't adhere to that in the in the actual events itself. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because I I got to that dark place and I was like, okay, maybe I didn't do enough. So again, it's one of those things in any events is you need to make sure that no no stone is left unturned when it comes to the training for it. So when you then get met with that adversity, you obviously don't break. Yeah, there. Because I was looking online to see how, how you did with yeah. it. And obviously, as you say, first one, you came in the, the top 10%, fantastic. But I thought he's not going to be happy with that. No, um, not at all. Because you, you, you don't go to um, come in the top 10%. You're, you're there to make a difference. Yeah. What you're saying about now the, the kind of mental side in it, is that because the athletes around about you are such and are such high quality that right away from the start you're seeing people who are pushing themselves hard, harder than you they're yeah. going faster and that must kind of almost chip away at you a wee bit yeah and it's uh-huh. it's a, it's it's definitely different i would say to like what i've done in the past yeah. with mixed martial arts and things mm-hmm. like that i think with mixed martial arts is definitely like the one percenters that do it yeah it's a tough sport not everyone does it. I think with fitness, you're going to get a lot more competition because a lot of people do fitness. Yeah. A lot of people want to test themselves. A lot of people can train for the fitness side of things. And you're not getting punched in the face Exactly. Either. So uh-huh. the mixed martial arts, it was always that 1%. Yeah, you're going up against the top guys. But when it comes to the fitnesses, the, the, the pool just becomes so much bigger and you, you're a small fish in a big pond. Mm-hmm. Which again, I, I thrive on. I love the idea of me working my way to a point where my name's in the conversation. And that is exactly what I'm obviously doing. Yeah, so that, that was your first one. So I think you can be a wee bit kind. Yeah. Yourself, yeah. Yourself. So in terms of where you came in, in your time, what's the delta between where you want, where you are and where you want to be, which is, what do you want to be? Top 10, top? So my, my end goal and saying it on a, on a, on a podcast, obviously yeah, sets it in stone a little uh-huh. bit more, but I do want to get invited to the world uh, 15 elite, hopefully next year or the year after. And again, I know there's a process to this, there's always, each event is going to come out something that you'll probably need to work on. So I know with one being done, 
I know what I need to work on. I've signed up for the pro division now in Glasgow, mm-hmm. which all the weights go up. Um, the sled goes, the pull, the pull on the the weights on the sled pull go up. Everything goes up. The kilometers stay the same, but with that being said, obviously your legs get a lot more tired throughout the heavier weight section in terms of the exercises. So there's there's a lot of work in the next four months that I have to do um, to get to where I want to be, which is the um, World Elite 15, because then you can go to the World Champs and actually go up against the, the top, best. Right, top, top guys. Yeah. Um, out of how many exercises did you say it was in between so the runs? Eight, eight. So there's eight. So where do you think the biggest gain is? Where where do you think you've got the the biggest o- overall time to gain? Because you've is it the run that's still? So it's the. My, I mean, my running has come up in the last six months mm-hmm. drastically, which I'm extremely happy with. It's the burning of the legs in the exercise going into that same pace that you are, are, are meant to be running in order to get the time that you want. So everything needs to work exactly to how you want when you are in the actual event because I can run quite easily at 330K if I go to the track or if I'm on the road, I can do a 330 pace. Going Doing a 330 pace straight after I've pushed a sled with 150 kgs on Different, isn't it? Yeah. Much different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what threw me off a little bit also doing the first solo event. I was like, all right, I know now what I need to work on. And I've literally, as soon as I came back that same week, I'm ready now putting my legs under that that same strain in order for me to be conditioned. I think that's the, the big, big word there is the conditioning needs to be correct. From going into a strength exercise, your legs are absolutely toast and Okay, run 330, okay, now. So is that what you're doing now, burning your legs, then going burning for a my, run? Yeah, yeah. so uh-huh. burning my legs into that state because I did not feel what I felt on competition once in my training. And that's a problem. I, again, I always now, I always try to correlate what I felt in, well, what I did in mixed martial arts to now what I'm doing in the uh, fitness industry is train hard, fight easy. If you don't experience anything anything in the training sessions, and you know, I'm talking about mixed martial arts, mm-hmm. and you are then, uh, you know, showing that within a fight, or you're showing your weakness, you're just going to freeze. Mm-hmm. So now it's the same as now going into the into the competition with fitness. If my legs have not felt that, it's just a mental thing. It's like, okay, well, I haven't felt this before. I'm, I'm you know, your your mind starts playing tricks on you. So oh, I never maybe trained hard enough. You start slowing down. Subconsciously, you might not think you're slowing down, but you are. And I think that's what happened. I mean, if I look at my splits, and that's another thing about high rocks is you can go look at your splits. So I know where my running, I was, I was running at 4.30. Now, if I look at my last half marathon that I did, I was run, running at 3.56 for 21 kilometers. Big difference. It's yeah. a big difference. Mm-hmm. And now I'm only running eight kilometers. I should be able to be doing a sub four kilometer within high rocks. Mm-hmm. But obviously I need, that's what I need to work on is putting my legs under strain and then working with those, that, with those, with that pace. Sounds like you have a plan, but which is most important. Yes. So obviously you're, you're looking for the, the elite end of, of the competition. So what advice would you give to somebody like me, for instance, an unfit person who sits in the backside all day to train for something like high rocks? What, where would you start? Well, firstly to come to the classes, I mean, a lot of, so are you doing there. a high rocks class? I'm now? doing a high rocks based class. I've got, I've got, Four clients now have signed up, and when I tell you that I'm extremely proud of the four people that have stood up and said, let me do it, because if you had seen them a year ago, there's not a chance that you would have presumed that they were gonna be doing in High Rocks. And now they have committed themselves to it, and it's just showing up to the sessions. And also, for me, and for anyone that just wants to do it for fun, is a big difference. The competition mindset's still there when you're at the event, but if you if you're there just to complete it and just to you know take everything in, just as long as you train specifically, which obviously as a coach or as a trainer you help your clients do, prepare them for the event, but just go have fun. It's that an event like that can be done by anybody. It's just that the difference is how fast do you want to do it, because that's where 
the either that's going to be fun or it's going to be torturous. And I think you're underplaying that, but that that event to me can't be done by anybody <laughs> after, <laughs> I, after watching the video. You know what it is though, Danny. I mean, if you With go a bit to, of training, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But if you also go to the events, and I think this is where I know I've met my passion in my work field is because I don't know anyone from above. So when I go to these events, I see people from all walks of life. Again, if you saw them before the events, you probably might have not guessed that they were about to do the high rocks. <laughs> and there they're on the field. Mm-hmm. They're running at a slow pace, maybe walking some some kilometers, but they're there. They're there having fun. They're there just to, you know, absorb the the energy of the whole whole events. And it's it's incredible to see. Yeah, a lot of people do it for a, a, a kind of personal battle, don't they? Yeah. Um, you touched on it there. Um, clearly, a lot of your your grounding, your methodology, the way that you you think, your experience is really heavily heavily grounded in your time in mixed martial arts. Yeah. Um, so taking a, a little step back, how did that all start? Because you don't go right. I'm going to be a cage fighter one day and start yeah. off with that. It, it's more gradual, I'd imagine. But it's a strange when everyone asks like, what made me get into it? Us. I don't know if it was for pride or if it was like a bit of self-esteem issues that like, uh, to be totally honest, I mean, when you, without going too far back, I think it also stems from my, from my childhood, my family, obviously being the only male in my family raised by my mother, grandmother, and my sister. So my mom never let me do any, any physical, or when I say physical, any contact sports until I was 13. And even then, my mom was like, oh, should you go play rugby? And I was like, please, mom, all my friends are doing it. She's like, okay, go play rugby. But she just disliked it completely. When I then got so into- you, So you thought you would go into well, fighting Well, this was now, <laughs> I only went into, I only went into mixed martial arts when I had already turned 18. I was mm-hmm. 19 when I started. And- Did you have a, any sort of martial art experience before I that? I did or? a bit of Taekwondo, but when, when I say I was, a clear, I, was a white, I was a blank piece of canvas when walking into the MMA mats for the first time. And I definitely think that was also a eye-opener when I did go pro, or even when I went to the World Championships in 2014. I'd only been doing mixed martial arts for three years before I went into the uh, World Championships. Wow. And speaking to all the other fighters there, they were like, yo, we've been training since we were five, either boxing or wrestling or this or that. They had a foundation. And I'm just like, wow, okay, you know, there's there's definitely, with anything, there's levels Mm -hmm. to it. And with that all being said, the reason why I went into mixed martial arts, I was playing football and then a big part of it, and I think if we do touch base on it, is when I went to pro, uh, that's when I started to see a little bit of cracks within my own game is because I think the reason, one of my main reasons to go into mixed martial arts because my dad had done it when he was a teenager. So it was almost like that underlying thing. I wanted to be closer to him. Obviously, if people don't understand, my dad passed away the same year I was born. So yeah. I had no connection to him as a sense. So, so, when I, getting a connection. so when I heard that he had done mixed martial arts, let me go do it. When I was uh, when I was seventeen, I got a tattoo on my stomach, and in there's mixed martial arts gloves because my my dad had done mixed martial arts. So when I turned eighteen, you know, turning into a man and and so forth, I was like, okay, who am I? What was my dad? Could I be more like him without really knowing him? What do do I know of him? I knew he did that. So let me. And then at that time my cousin's boyfriend, well now husband, did mixed martial arts. So he was like, come along. And then I was like, okay, maybe I can make, you know, make my dad proud in that sense by going into something that he did. And yeah, that stemmed into that. But the reason why I say then when I went pro is I started to question why am I doing it? Or like the before the fights, I was like, well, do I really like, you know, I love the training. I absolutely love the training. I love pushing my body to that point. But when it got to like time to like now go into the cage, I was like, why am I doing that? And I think that's maybe why it was also easy enough for me to walk away from from it in terms of the farting part mm-hmm. of it. I think a, I think a lot of guys, if they're being honest, like the idea of it, but are actually petrified by the idea of yeah. it in this, the same instance. It's a it's a, a great thing to think about, but not actually do. Yeah. And obviously the UFC, everyone likes watching it. Um, so 
I've always wondered when you see um, the guys coming out in the UFC and I've saw some of your footage as well where coming out with the, the camera in your yeah. face with the light and do, doing the proper ring walk and, uh, yeah. and all that what's actually going on in your head because everyone always looks cu cool as a cucumber not I know, you, well if I can speak for myself you are you going through every emotion walking up to that cage and again it's one of those things where if you leave any stone unturned you in that walk alone you're going to be thinking about everything you either did right or you did wrong. I know for me, if I had missed a session maybe like two weeks prior or three weeks prior to that fight, I would be thinking about that day that I missed that session. So, so that one session turns that into That one session, I'm like, oh, this guy that I'm going up against maybe didn't m miss that session. Maybe he well, worked just as hard, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You start to process all of this and you're like, this guy, this guy need, and I think again, Stemming from that is I knew, I knew subconsciously that maybe this wasn't going to be my future mm -hmm. fighting. Mixed I think that's arts. a big thing, isn't it? That is a big yeah. thing. When uh -huh. I, and then again, I'm an overthinker. You know how I think, yeah. Danny. I started to process this like the guys that I'm fighting, this is their life now. They don't have any bread and butter on the, on the table. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not under, underplaying their parts and my part within the mixed martial arts. But I also didn't say to myself, I need this money, I need this to for a future. It's my only path, it's my only option. Yeah, it's, it's my, my only thing. way. And I think when you're in, a, in the pro world, I think that does play a big part when you're going against guys that are so hungry for just to make something of themselves where I probably knew that that wasn't going to be the end goal. I would have maybe said it to myself a few times when I was climbing up my, the ladder. Obviously, when you're on the on the role of just, you know, I went to world championships and then you start to think to yourself, okay, maybe this is something that I can do. Because, I mean, up until 19 years of age, I didn't know mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. And when I got into it, I was like, okay, I'm good at this. And again, I think it's just my athleticism that 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 helped me get to where I was. And then it was more, more than started to think, is yeah. it really is it what me? I wanted? Yeah. No, that's, I think it's not something that you can be half in or half out, especially at the top level, isn't yep. it? Because you're surrounded by, as you say, people who are living, breathing it, don't yeah. think about anything else. Uh, and I think it's incredibly honest to actually be able to sit and say to yourself, no, nah, this perhaps isn't for me. Yeah. Um, so best fight, worst fight, what would you say? I think probably I had a few worst fights. <laughs> the reason why I say that though is because I knew, I, I know how good I was, yeah. but it just my mind, just my mind took over mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And again, it comes from me probably not really wanting to be in that cage at the time. So I've always, when people say they're, they're mine to go for, um, have never done sport at any particular level that way. So when your mind takes over, are you basically saying that you know you should do something, but you choose not to? after fear of getting caught out or making a mistake or you freeze? What what does that actually mean? So there's a thing called obviously flat and fat. Mm -hmm. And I think when your life is not completely in danger, yeah. and I think that was a case for me, is I knew there was a ref there. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I just stayed in a position long enough, it would, would be done. Could stop it. So a little story is when I had my last fight in 2017, I lost it and it was by a TKO. I had no marks on me afterwards. I stood up straight after the ref called it off. I was unscathed. But all I did was 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 cover up because I was just like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, the ref's about to call this. I can just wait it out. And again, that's not, that, that's not a um, thing to do with when you're in the pro divisions. And I think that was also a big turning point in me to actually have a sit down and think if it was something that I really wanted to continue on. And... Um, my mother-in-law was there who's a psychologist and she was like, you know, I mean, they, they learn, they study the flight or fight response in a lot of circumstances. And she was like hundred percent. She saw it firsthand there. It was like, she knew I could probably do something and I knew I probably could do something too. All I needed to do was move and get out the situation. But all those things just, you just like, okay, I'll just wait here and let the fight be over rather. Yeah. And it, it is, it's one of those things where afterwards, you're upset, you're angry at yourself, but then you do have to just sit down and have a think to as why you were like that. Mm -hmm. And now, now I can say, all right, that is what exactly what it was. I never wanted to be in there. And 
that and that's it do you regret doing it in any way no no it definitely has taught me things like i said now i use that though mm -hmm. now i use that but i think it strengthened my mind to some extent because i probably put myself in a lot of those positions in mixed martial arts probably did, that i didn't even want to be in but because i was in it i, I succeeded mm -hmm. yeah and i succeeded because of because of my mindset so now i've just now moved that into my into the fitness realm and I do believe that if I if I can process everything the way that I currently am, I can have a future in some in some form or way within the fitness industry in terms of these competitions and and just pushing the pushing myself to the best that I can. It's it's funny listening to you because you're you're talking about all the the downsides and what you did wrong, but you had a, a kind of remarkable career will be quite short for, for what you did you, you fought in the world championships you fought yeah. at a, a great level it just shows your mindset is more interested in what didn't work rather than yeah. what worked and I think in some uh, some weird and strange way I would consider that as a like that experience as one of my parents you know what I mean so I never again I think I always need to stem through to form my personality traders like I got raised by women and there is a massive difference there's no forcing of anything like <clears throat> now that I'm a father, I know the direction that if I see if I see my son doing well at something, I will I will try push him in that direction and help him to get there. Not to say my, my mom was the most supportive person in the world. She would you know bend over backwards. But if I if I wanted to quit, there was there was yeah, nothing. Quite. Yeah, yeah, do yeah. that, do that. Mm. And I think when I now have come out on the other side and now uh, done with the mixed martial arts and I'm using that to my advantage is because I learned life lessons that I probably would have learned from a father figure, but within the mixed martial arts. And I think that stems from having a, the coaching, okay, maybe it's not just mixed martial arts, but it's the coaching that you get within the mixed martial arts. My my head coach, Vincent now was, was like my, was it uh, was something that I looked up as a father figure, and that's why a lot of boys end up going to boxing gyms, especially yeah. from deprived areas where it's yes. a more challenging background. Because it actually gives them something they're not getting. Yeah, you know, in terms of that that sense and of it's no one's fault. No, no, you know what I mean. I mean, I always try, like I always try, you know, tell my mom she did a brilliant job. But I mean, not having a male figure in her life now, now that I'm a father, I could see what I was missing, and obviously with the mixed martial arts. I was in football, but a football coach and a mixed martial arts coach is very different. That's, I think, why mixed martial arts, any fighting, teaches you about life. You get knocked down, you come back up. Mm. There's, there's adversities 24-7 when you're on those mats. There's, 24, there's adversities 24-7 in life as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when you have a head coach like I had that helped me process and helped me through things, and I think you then then you just link onto the, them just a little bit more than what other people would link onto them because of what their role was to you and your own personal um, beliefs and what you got from them. Yeah, no. So the, the MMA has never been more popular than it is now. Obviously, yeah. UFC is going through the roof. It's absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do it or is thinking about doing it? who sits on a, a Saturday night and watches UFC, whatever, um, what advice would you give them? Get into the gym and also go in for the right reasons because, again, like I said, holes will be holes will be opened when you go into... If you, maybe you can get through it in the amateur side of things because not everyone's at a top level, but it, uh, the holes will definitely show in the, in the pro division. So just have the right reason to go do it. If you really do believe that you can make it and you enjoy the, cause fighting, a lot of people think fighting is animalistic and it's, but it's, it's so, you have to be so clever when it comes to certain things, the countering it. And they always go, jujitsu is like chess, boxing is also like chess, trying to figure out the move before it even happens. So to have the fighting intelligence, the fight, fighting IQs should also be up there and to be excited to learn and, like you are doing a degree or uh, you know a BCom of some sort honors, have that same enthusiasm into that as you are now studying the fight game. That's why all the greats are the greats, it's because they don't just go to train, go home. They train, go back home, watch footage of either the person that they're fighting or of 
of past fighters, what made them tick and what made them better and having that enthusiasm to learn the theory behind the fighting and uh, the knowledge that, that you need in order to either read opponent, opponents or the technique behind certain, um, you know, the fight game. So yeah, definitely just have the enthusiasm and then just get in the gym and see if it's for you because you might like, find out it's not. You might, yeah. So yeah. getting getting punched and and all of that, you know, it's not for everyone. Not no. for everybody. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> would you want your son doing it? I wouldn't mind. I would definitely uh, steer him into the jiu-jitsu and wrestling side first. That's what I eventually want to get into as well. Again, is the jiu-jitsu side is going into the competitions for the jiu-jitsu, but again, just time, like being yeah. a father, being a business owner, and then shuffling everything mm. it's it's pretty hard so i definitely want to get him involved in the jiu-jitsu and wrestling for muscle development for coordination just for self-defense i think those two are super effective in order to just uh stop any any attack or also just you know uh, slow down an attack yeah not everything's punching a lot of things end up close contact um and it's even been getting used of being in a situation where someone's not complying with you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, so you can, so you can yeah. put them into a submissive position, yeah. either before, if you're in a school setting, before the teacher arrives, principal arrives, if you're on the, you know, in a public, before the police arrive, it definitely is one of the most effective, I believe, in, in making sure that you don't hurt the other person because if you punch someone and, you know, tale something is, happens, yeah you then are gonna have that on you for the rest of your life. Whereas a takedown, get them in a submissive position, hold them, you safe, and the other person's also safe. Yeah, it's a great way, great way to look at it because mm. people need to live with the consequences of their actions. Yeah. And, um, so after your MMA um, career, you then, back in South Africa, you give everyone a little bit more context. You, you then use that to create a really successful gym. So yeah. you build up a, a, a really successful gym, all different types of clients from people who are in MMA to just people who are coming to train, yeah. uh, fitness classes. So you, you, you built that that up. Um, speaking to you, it's very clear that you're a family person. Your family and friends mean the world to you. Yeah. You love South Africa. You love um, the weather, the culture, but you made the decision to pack up your life and basically start again in Scotland. Yeah. So. Um, which is an incredible thing to do when you have st such strong roots in South Africa. So what was the the rationale, the reasoning? What what happened to make you take such an extreme course of action? So I obviously bought the gym over from my head coach. So they offered it to myself and, and Kerry because they ran it as a couple. And then we were like, okay, well, that's something we could do. I was obviously a football coach at the time as well. So for the first two years of running that gym, I never took in any profits. There was no, that was just feeding the gym, getting new equipment, building that up. Built that up for two years, fully paid off, stopped the football coaching, went full-time into the, in the, the gym, and that became my, my second baby and really grew it up into what it was before I left. A family gym, I had, you know, three different generations of, of family members training there. I had the kids MMA, I had the boxing, kickboxing, had the fitness, had jiu-jitsu, just had an all in under one roof, which, you know, ideally is what you would want in a, in a gym. And then had my son um, a year into me owning the gym and running the gym, being a family man, everything was was going good. And then obviously COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I think the realization of, um, you know, the country that we were in looking after us, I mean, I don't expect any 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 payouts or or, or assistance, you know, as, as I say, but when there was nothing to, to stop the landlords from expecting their pay, but then also not the government actually stepping in to help the citizens in that time when there was no money. I mean, all our savings, all, all of myself and Kerry's savings got used through COVID for me to pay rent. So in the UK, there was like bounce back loans. You could take yeah. interest free loans for business owners. There was nothing like that there in South Africa. Absolutely. Well, uh, without getting too, too, too deep in, it was very hard to, to come by to get those, to get those loans or any assistance. 
So Kerry and I used almost all our all our savings just to make sure that when lockdown had come out, there was actually a gym to go to. And I think <clears throat> with that, we're just like, oh, all right. We are still in two minds about the whole immigration because obviously Kerry's family is from from Scotland. And the option was there. We had discussed it maybe a few times, either over dinner or break. You know, it would be nice maybe to 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 immigrate and and see what the future holds for us in another another place. But again, South Africa was just too too good. The weather, the our, we had obviously built up friend, amazing friendships, and then I think the big turning point for people maybe listening from the UK or somewhere else is the fact that in South Africa, hijacking is a big part of life there. It's like you need to be cautious while you're driving at every traffic light, at so every stop one sign. One thing I was so surprised about that you carried a gun with you everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I had, I had a firearm. Again, it's not the best things to have when you've got kids around. But again, it's it's an, I feel it is a necessity now to have a firearm in South Africa to keep your family safe. So I didn't have my firearm though at the time when the first incident happened. And that was we had a hijacking attempt with myself and my wife in the car. And <clears throat> the most traumatizing experience because not, I wouldn't say for me, I mean, when you're a husband and your father, your first priority is your your family, your wife, your kids. So I think when you're in danger, you don't think about yourself. You think about what could happen to the person which that is you worse. love. Which is 100% mm-hmm. worse, especially them being a female and the hijack is being male. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's worse things start running through your head. So after like getting chased through like seven tra- traffic lights, they eventually jumped out the car, ah, re- wheel spun out of there, reversed, got to the police station, got to the police station and the police looked at us like, what do you want us to do? And I wow. think that was the turning point for us. I think that was in 2008. Did, did absolutely nothing with that? <clears throat> well, just then, took your pa- name and... Well, no, they never even took your name. Apparently they had no vehicles to assist us. So the, they were, there was no help. And then my reply to that was, okay, my brother-in-law at least has a firearm to protect us. I'll call him. And they were like, yeah, okay, do that. <laughs> and so rather like, than trying to talk you down or say... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, they no. were like, yeah, okay, call him rather. So I think that was the big, I think that was the, you know, the. It went from being a nice idea to, right, let's have a series talk yeah. about this. Yeah. And, it, and it was, that was the turning mm-hmm. point. And then through the process of us, you know, you know, getting every, all our ducks in order mm-hmm. and speaking to the immigration lawyer, we had another attempt and we were just like, no, get us out of this country now. We, and that was when he, my son was in the car. And again, now it's my wife and my son. I'm like, no, not a chance. So that was a big, and no, like, like, like we said at the beginning, family comes first over anything and over any business, over any, how well something's doing. And I think when your family's life are put into a picture, you'll pretty much, you know, uplift everything and go try, try for something better in a different place. And which we have, and don't get me wrong, it's been, it's been tough been hard being away from friends and family. But for for example, and I th- and we were having a good laugh about it, Kerry and I went to go watch the Rugby World Cup on Saturday. You had to get that in, didn't you? That's yeah. it, which we won, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and we jumped on the train, got into town, walked from the train station to the pub that we were watching the game, walked back at 11 p.m. at night, jumped on the train back home. Never would have happened in South Africa. Really? Yeah. Trains don't even operate anymore in South Africa because of the the lines getting stolen and the crime and all of that. But just jumping on a train and going into town, walking in town, there's the CBDs in uh, in South Africa are no go zones. You you're not walking there, especially at 11 p.m. at night, uh, unscathed. You are going to be going in there and you're going to either get hijacked or or even worse. So walking through Glasgow on Saturday night with, with, Ke- with my wife, Kerry, and we were just like, this is it. Like, this is why we moved you. Yeah. And yes, it's hard. The weather's terrible most of the time. <laughs> and <it>? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're missing our, f- our family and friends. But just that alone is one of those main components to, to, to make it all worth it is knowing that we can. And it's something so simple for you guys. 
Like yeah, you're you trained going into that. town and and for us, we were just like, look at this. We can walk and, you know, not maybe there's a few drunk drunk people and, you know, people that are on something walking through town. It's not life-threatening. It's not like you, you have to look over your shoulder. You can walk with your phone out. You're not doing that in South Africa. You know, your phone's out. It's getting taken quickly. So it's just things, small things like that that have made the whole decision worth it moving from South Africa to here. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a, an absolute no-brainer. When you... When you landed in Scotland, had you ever been to Scotland before? So again, just a bit of backstory. My mom's obviously a single mother working copious amount of jobs just to support us. So the first time I had ever left South Africa was when I got chosen for the World Championships. And again, that was through sponsorships and, you know. That was in Vegas, wasn't it? Through Vegas, yeah. So that was my first time leaving. So 2014, I was... I was 21 years of age. It was the first time that I ever, have ever, ever left South African shores to go overseas. So Las Vegas was the only place that I'd been to prior to now arriving into Scotland. Uh, what did you think when you landed in the, the eternal greyness that is Scotland? <laughs> Exc- it was actually yeah. excitement. Coming from, from South Africa where it's always hot, you know, there was, a, there was that excitement aspect to it. Like, okay, well, I've heard how cold it gets here. Let's see. And the 1st December, I mean, we arrived in 2021 May. And in the December, we heard that it could snow and we were buzzing. We were like, yes, hey, I want to see how cold. And when you got to minus temperatures, we were like, wow, this is cold. Because I never experienced minus temperatures before. And yeah, then after the 1st December, that's when it just went downhill. Then you want to get back, <laughs> get back to South Africa. I always remember standing in the gym with you and you were, I think it was January, and you were saying, oh, this weather's ter- terrible. <laughs> I'm glad we're almost at spring yeah. and I didn't have the heart to tell you. I <laughs> oh, now I know, now <laughs> so I know. You've got another four or five yeah, months. So yeah. That's my friend, I just kind of nodded and smiled <laughs> in terms of what I did. So, 100%. Um, you've... Kicked off um, when you you came here. You're starting from scratch, absolutely nothing, um, and very quickly you've built up a successful PT coaching business. Um, there's multiple different aspects you do. You you train out of ship, uh, out of shape people like me all the way through to <laughs> people who are trying to do uh, something at the higher level of sport. So, um, is there a overwhelming philosophy that you use for training, or is it very much down to the individual and what they're trying to do? So I think with, in terms of the, any PT's philosophy, I think individ, individuality is always going to be that, that that big word or like that that like most popular word that you'll hear when it comes to personal training. It's personal. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with the individuality, it's everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to have different goals. So as a personal trainer and a coach, you have to then suffer that out of your out of your clients and also figure out what the best approach is to that. So philosophy in terms of how you deal with clients changes from, and I mean, when you have four clients in a row and then all of them are different, you have to change your either your tone, the way you, how you interact with them. You have to maybe be a little bit more calmer, then you get someone that you need to have to be a little bit harder with. So it all comes down to who's in front of you and being able to to process and to come up with the best solution as fast as possible for that person before you start the coaching process, whilst it's going to be very up and down, up leading up to that. Mm. I think a lot of people, especially when you get towards my age and you're out of shape and you've been away from it so so long, especially a lot of guys, I think they're a, a bit nervous about being embarrassed or seeming stupid or feeling out their depth yeah. or there's nothing worse. You hear horror stories of a PT making some dispute in their, yeah, yeah, yeah. In their, their, their very, first, very first session. So um, that's one thing I think you, you approached absolutely right about when I started training with you. It was just making the person feel at ease yeah. and comfort and say, well, what can we do? But still, still, still pushing that. Because the last thing you want to do, if, if you got someone into the gym and instantly made them throw up Oh, but the chances of them coming back are. But some some personal trainers think that that's a you know a plus. Yeah, yeah look, I pushed them so hard, and and uh, you know, and it's more of a proud thing when completely opposite. Yeah, no, I've, 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 absolutely. Um, 
so you'll see a lot of people come and go. Now, people come in for PT, they move on, um, they'll come up with all sorts of excuses from my washing machine's broke to um, having... <laughs> uh, <I've> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, why do you think people stop? So... They make, uh, they make a bit of progress then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So major factor, I think, for a lot of people is maybe change of circumstances within their life. So I know it's a big thing in South Africa, maybe not so much here, but again, everything is going up. So I think, um, you know, disposable income could be a factor. And it's probably the first thing to go, isn't it? Yeah, so it's like, all right, well, I need to start, uh, you know, putting back, I've got a gym membership. I'll do so that. I can still go to the gym, but maybe I should just keep that money rather than going and spending it on a PT. And I think our goal as a personal trainer is, if that does eventually happen, at least they've got the knowledge in order to then say, okay, I can't afford a PT, but thanks to my personal trainer, my coach, I at least have some sort of understanding to maintain or progress on my on my own. So yeah, so that that that's one of them. I think I think it's also people don't like to see their flaws and cracks. So mm-hmm. that also could be another one. Is like when you start the process. Because I, like you said, I was very calm, collected. Uh, I let uh, ease people into uh, uh, my, into my way of of training. But there's only so much I'm going to ease somebody in, and then uh, my main goal is to is to get people to see what they're actually made out of and their potential, even if they might not see it. I know, coming from my background. I would have never ever, if I if I had to see myself now, if, like the 13 year old me had to see me now, I know he would be absolutely mind blown. I'll, my eyes probably be in big and I know I, I'm someone that I would have looked up to then. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't know that about themselves. So I think when I turn it up, when I turn the training sessions up, I know that I've got you to a place where I know I can. I've done it safely. I've done it accordingly. I haven't just pushed your body to a point and then be like, okay, no, now now we now we're going. I've made sure that you know there's been progressive um, techniques within it, and I can see that you at that level. And I think maybe when I turn it up, they're like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe yeah, I'm off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there, there's also that aspect, but I think financial financials and then just just I'm the I'm the grim grim reaper of of weaknesses. I'll show I'll show the weaknesses that somebody would have, and not not because I want not I'm like I'm, I'm gonna you, you want know, to improve them. You want to yeah. Improve. I want to I want to make sure that okay. You here's your weaknesses. Let's work on them together, and with. And again, it might be some someone might be going through, you know, personal things in their life. They're really a bit, you know, going through some stuff. They may be a bit weak and weak in heart, weak in mind, because of what they're going through. Now I'm there, and instead of just making it an easy session that they can just go one hour, just get it through, you know, they feel good about it. I'm also now like, hey, we need to, we need to push. Let's, you know, let's let's fail here, and let's overcome that. But then there's failure maybe happening in their life. The hour that they should come and maybe just be at ease, I'm also now, you know, trying to evaluate and also just trying to push them past their where they believe that they are. So could also be that. It's just not lacking failure. Yeah. Do you know what I think one of the biggest things for people is just consistency becomes an issue? Because you need to be consistent at it. Even if it's a rubbish session, you go to your gym by yourself, at least you went. Yeah. It's when you stop being consistent. Yeah, I think that's the slow, slippery slope, isn't it? To yeah, and as a as a coach, and as a personal trainer, and I think this is where you also know me as a. Yeah, I'm doing all these hierarchies for myself, hundred uh-huh. percent. Yeah, I'm testing my body for myself, but I'm in an industry that if I don't do it for myself, how can I get my? And this is what I firmly believe. And yeah, some personal training, some coaches might not be on the same page as me. They might not be like, I don't need to test myself too in order to test. But I know that I can be a good role model for my clients and for the people around me. So I want to know that, I want them to know that I go through all the same emotions, all the same feelings. I wake up in the morning, sometimes I don't want to go for a run. I don't want to go train sometimes, but I know I have to. I need to stay disciplined and, and consistent because I've, got, I've said to myself I want certain things to happen. They're not going to happen on their own. 
So, and that's now also trying to articulate that to my clients and to, is, is that discipline and consistency. I don't want to do, I genuinely don't want to do some of the stuff half the time, but I get up and I go do it anyway. Yeah, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody other than come for some great coaching? So someone who's bang out of shape, um, who wants to start doing something, where, where, where do they begin? They don't know their way around the gym. They don't have the money for a personal coach. What should they do? I definitely think a class setting would be better. I mean, again, not, not, not talking numbers, but yeah. classes are really cheap in comparison to personal training. Mm -hmm. So anyone that comes into my, I say my, and this should be every coach. This mm -hmm. should be all personal trainers. And when I say I sh it should, maybe not all personal trainers and coaches do this. Maybe it's just a, a money thing for them. But when you come into a group setting class, you're technically still getting some personal training. If I see you doing an exercise wrong, I'm coming to coach you. I'm coming to correct you. I'm motivating you throughout the class. It's fraction of the price and you're getting the coaching, you're getting the motivation, you're getting all the energy that's around you from the other people. And it's in a safe environment because a lot of the time people, firstly, they don't wanna go into a gym because they fear what other people might think. They look at a they look at a exercise machine and they like, What's oh, that? I don't want to, and they're not even willing to even attempt it because the fear of making themselves you know look silly. So I think getting into a into and on either on, you know either way that you're going to do it, either by yourself going into the gym or coming to a class, there has to be something that you're going to have to overcome. You're yeah. going to have to be. You have to go and overcome the the thoughts of you feeling left out or you maybe not part of a circle within the group. You're just going to have to, you it's know. It's a first step, isn't it? It's you a need, first step. Yeah, you, you just to have out. to take that leap of faith yeah. that it's all going to work out and just do it. At least in a class setting, you've got the coach there. The coach should make you feel welcome, should chat to you throughout the session, should ask you how it went, have that there, that camaraderie with all the other people. Mm. And... You're not alone. Whereas the gym floor, you're going to be alone a lot of the time. And I think you and I have spoken about it before. Is like a lot of the, a lot of like the personal trainers on a gym floor. <clears throat> okay, not all of them, but if they don't see you as a sales or marketing, uh, you know, beacon, they're not going to come assist you. No. No, they won't pass somebody who's about to injure themselves on a machine. Yeah, they're like, all right, mm. am I going to? Um, if I go see, chat to them. Am I going to get something out of it? Mm. And if not, a lot of the time they'll just be like, nah. <laughs> move on. Yeah, move, move on. on. Move on. And that shouldn't be the case. If you know you're not going to get something out of it, it's your job as a personal trainer to correct. And I think that's also another big thing is where people feel feel like um, feel like they just, you know, um, eyes are on them. Yeah. And they're just not getting the assistance that they, they would like or they actually deserve, you know, going into a – into a gym environment. Yeah, and I think as well on social media now, you can't open it up without coming across a guru, someone who's got a, a, a fast way of doing stuff. Um, the next hair brain scheme where you don't actually have to exercise. Yeah. That must be quite annoying as a personal trainer. As, well, uh, funny enough, when I knew I was coming onto this podcast, I was yeah. like, I think a, a conversation to us why I do what I do is better than me jumping on my Instagram story and be like, you do this, come on. And mm -hmm. I you know, it's so, just so diluted. And again, personal trainers do it. It is what it is. But with that being said, I think a more of a conversational approach to as why we do what we do and, and making it, we are all, we are just the same as everybody else. And we know the, the hardships that everyone goes through mentally, physically, and just trying to process that in a way that that you can reach as many people as possible and without trying to make a huge profit out of it. Cause that's also another thing is like, everything's become again, money makes the world go around. I do understand that, but I'll be more happily knowing that if I leave this earth, knowing that I've, you know, you know, turned people's lives around, maybe not being an absolute baller, not being able to, you know, get first class tickets and so mm -hmm. forth. But knowing that I've made a difference in, in people's lives, I think will go a lot more further than just trying to, you know, make it on social media. Yeah, and, I, th and I, I think that's a very honourable way to look at it. So um, last but on the personal training. So um, if you could only do three exercises for the rest of your life, what would they be? 
you can't do anything else. You've got to commit to three exercises now that give you the best all-round workout. What are you doing? Hmm, that, that's a good question, Danny, but I would probably go for my own personal. Obviously, everyone will have their own, yeah. own beliefs, but I think for... And again, it all comes down to equipment, I, I guess. I'd go. I'd say burpees one of them. Oof, right, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Reason being is because of why they were created in the first place as a space. You're getting your full body work, uh, you know, worked all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always go for bench press. It's one of the, the three major strength exercises. Um, so bench press would be the second. And then I'd go for back squat as well. Back squat. Yeah, back squat again, just full mm-hmm. body, your well, your legs mainly, but activating your core, your stability, your core stabilizers. And yeah, so those three would probably be the main ones. I'll stay away from deadlifts. Yeah. <laughs> Not all the trainers will say that, yeah. but I feel like they create more problems for me then. Oh, they can. <laughs> um, so what's next for you? What's what's in the card? So you've got High Rocks in March. March. I want to do the full marathon in May. So I'm going to, going to do the Edinburgh Marathon in May. But as a, just on a business level, so that's technically that is still business level because I'm pushing myself again for- You're taking clients through that as well, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, so taking on clients and just hopefully, up, you know, I'm praying and, and putting a lot of um, mindfulness towards the 2024, have, have a bigger space where I can launch my mixed martial arts and launch a, a, a little kids class and kickboxing, boxing, and just get bigger. Cause I do believe that uh, you and I again have always spoken about it. You were, you were one of the, uh, the voices that are, that are lent on when it came to the decision of me moving out from Anytime Fitness. And we spoke about it as that, I know I belong in a bigger place, but again, it's just all about time and, and knowing when you have the ability to do so, then you do it. But I think that's that. In terms of the <clears throat> the big things that are that are expected in the near future, it would be getting a bigger spot yeah. where I can launch again what I had in South Africa, and and basically have the carbon copy of that, but bigger and better. Bigger and better. You'll absolutely do it. I've got no doubt of that. Um, I've seen you come here with starting basically no clients and building yeah. up to what you've got to just now. So that next step will absolutely happen. But um, Jesse, thanks very much for coming on. As always, appreciate my friend, it, it's been great to speak to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Thank you.